welcome to Our Parents Did What? A Tour of the Parenting Perils of Yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. I don't know about you, but I want to hear some mom moments. This is another like my kid came into the bathroom Um, so many of them I was getting ready to go on a business trip and I was planning on wearing a couple dresses while I was on the business trip and I didn't have a lot of time before I needed to leave so I grabbed I have like a an electric razor that I sometimes use when I'm in like a real pinch and I don't have time to like get into the shower to shave my legs and so I'm like in the bathroom with my foot up on the toilet, just like very quickly <laughs> using the electric razor on yeah. my legs. And Emma comes in and is just like, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? And I have found myself having to explain to a seven-year-old why someone would be shaving the hair off of their legs when they're in a rush to leave the house. Yeah. And I realized how absurd and silly it is. Completely absurd. And I was like, well, so this this thing that I'm using takes the hair off of my legs. And when you get older, sometimes you grow hair on parts of your body where you may not necessarily want to have hair on your body. And so sometimes you choose to remove that hair from your body. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm thinking to myself, I never remove the hair from my body ever. Unless I'm going out into the world and other people are going to see me. Same. So silly. So silly. I don't <sighs> even bother sometimes anymore. I yeah. went I went with my students to a competition and like completely did not remember to shave my legs because I just never do it anymore. And I was wearing like cropped pants and I like crossed my leg over and saw and I was like, you know what? It is what it is. <laughs> it, yeah, it is what I'm here. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. here we are. <laughs> so how about you? So I have been going through some like health stuff and doing like a lot of doctor's appointments recently. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I've been doing is I went to get genetic testing done mm. to assess my personal risk of breast cancer because my mom having yeah. breast cancer so young. And it actually turned out to be really cool because I don't have the results back yet, but what they do is they test you for certain genes to see if you are, I guess, more susceptible to getting breast cancer. And if you have these genes, obviously you want to take, you know, extra preventative measures, but the interesting thing that happens is if you don't have the gene, then they would test, you know, my mom's sample that they still have and if she also doesn't have the gene, then that would mean that I'm at like a heightened risk of breast cancer because it means that her cancer came out of nowhere at a young age. It wasn't mm-hmm. attached to a gene, so that could happen to me too. But if she was positive for the gene and I was negative, then it means I'm a regular risk of breast cancer. Yep. So cool. There's like all this interesting stuff. She's ex- She literally like drew my family tree. It was so fascinating. Oh, interesting. I like went to a geneticist. And then um, – but the really cool thing that she said was she was like, because we have your mom's frozen sample, as long as it's still viable and we can test it again, not only can I tell you your risk of breast cancer, but I can probably tell you a- around like a little – your daughter's risk of yeah. getting breast cancer too. And I was like, oh, like what? <laughs> like 
it was just the coolest thing. And I went, I like, I went into the appointment kind of like doing it for me. But yeah. then I left being like, I'm kind of doing something cool for her. Yeah. And like, you know, we can be super proactive and yeah. kind of like be ready and aware of even what's going on with her. Yeah. And I was just like, I had a moment of like, science is crazy. Yes. Crazy yep. that they can tell all these things. Yep. So, I mean, we're waiting for all the results, but like, it was very, very cool. And um, just the way she was explaining all the genetic stuff, I was like, wow, I can't believe that you can tell all that. All right. So you just covered wonderfully periods. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to cover some of the other not so glamorous aspects of puberty. We're gonna, I'm going to talk a lot about body image. So the physiological changes and the mental changes that kind of go along with with puberty and how we look at our bodies. And I'm going to talk about the effects of social media on body image, how that has changed puberty and changed teen, tween life. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm going to talk to you about body odor Mm. because it's fascinating why teenagers stink. Um, yeah. And, and then uh, I'm just going to give a couple of resources for, since this is a parent podcast, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's so nice how we are kind of breaking some stigmas and talking to our kids more than we have historically in the past. And I think that's really important moving forward. So I uh, just put together some resources of like books for talking to your, you know, tweens and teens about puberty. Nice. So what is puberty, Right. Well, it's all the physiological changes that happen inside of your body. That's pretty well documented. What is not talked about as much, but we know about it, we just don't talk about it, is how those physiological changes affect us mentally, how we look at our bodies, how we look at other people's bodies, and how the attractiveness ideal of at least our Western culture is completely in opposition to what happens to a woman's body during puberty, which is a big problem. Yes. So let's talk about body image. Body image is the like emotional response, right? That we have to our own bodies. There are three different dimensions to body image. First, when you're going through puberty, right? There's the evaluation. Something is changing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there's either a satisfaction with that or a dissatisfaction with that. Then there's the emotion that goes along with that. Anxiety, stress, depression, associated with how your body looks. And Mm -hmm. then there's the investment that goes along with that. So the importance that we put on how our bodies look and how that makes us feel emotionally, right? So it's kind of like a process that gets us there. The changes in body image are particularly striking in puberty because it's very different between the two genders. Now, obviously, yeah. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about trans youth and you know how that would affect puberty. I'm just going to talk about assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth, and how mm-hmm. those bodies are going to change during puberty. Yes. So I just want to put that out there now. When we go through puberty, that's when men and women's bodies tend to really change, right? And start to look different. And so that is, is the first time that that really happens for kids. So body dissatisfaction is the most widely studied aspect of body image in puberty, Mm -hmm. right? Most people don't go through puberty, at least women don't go through puberty and love the way their body looks. There's dissatisfaction, there's (laughs) uncertainty, right? And usually with women, the first, one of the first signs of puberty is 
breasts. And so that can be kind of alarming to see, especially when you're not wearing a bra yet. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you've got this stuff, you got to go bra shopping with your mom. It's very embarrassing. So like these first signs of puberty in girls are very disconcerting and Mm -hmm. make you feel very vulnerable and, and scared and confused. So the physiological changes of puberty are mediated by our endocrine system, and it includes some things that are similar for boys and girls, which is accelerated growth rate, increased muscle development, and growth of pubic and underarm hair, and mm-hmm. growth in the genitalia. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we have increased acne, oily skin, our sweat glands start producing more sweat. That's the same across the board. But then there are sex-specific changes. So assigned male at birth, you're going to get facial hair growth. The voice gets deeper. They develop broader shoulders, more muscle mass, which actually goes towards the ideal of male attractiveness. Mm -hmm. And then for women or assigned female at birth, we get breast development, menstruation, broader hips. Our voices actually get a little deeper too, but basically we tend to put on more fat and we don't get quite as much muscle mass. We we tend to have less muscle than men. Yes. Which puts us further away from what models look like, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So now let's talk more about the cultural attractiveness ideals and body image. So Jen, what is, what would you say is the attractiveness ideal of like American Western society for a woman? I mean, I feel like the answer to this question is different from the answer I want to give. I know. Because I think if you I think if you like surveyed men, like men who are interested in women and women who are looking for men <laughs> are interested in a woman who actually looks pretty average. Yes. But women, <laughs> if you asked me what I right. think the ideal is, it's like, oh well, you know, like five foot seven, a hundred and forty pounds maybe but probably less and like a c-sized boob and like it's so specific and i don't think that that's actually what right people are looking for yes so i think it's it's kind of the the difference between what what young girls are going to see in a magazine and on posters Mm -hmm. plastered everywhere and what men actually want but men don't really talk about that right especially not when you're 14, 15. So mm-hmm. women are going, young women are going by what they see in magazines, on TV, models, mm-hmm. and that is super thin. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just super thin, that's it. Sometimes yep. super thin, big boobs, right? Yep. Like a lot of these, <laughs> these things that are not naturally occurring that you yeah. have to kind of make, <laughs> you know, some people look like that, but it's really rare. Most people look very average and have a lot more, you know, fat on them than mm-hmm. a model would. The other thing that makes puberty particularly difficult for girls, aside from the fact that they move away from that ideal while men move towards it, is that girls hit puberty before boys, Mm -hmm. approximately two years before boys on average. So their bodies begin to change before boys' bodies do. And that can be difficult and confusing and can cause bullying. And it's, it's a big part of why... Puberty for girls, I think, can be a lot more difficult than puberty for boys, at least currently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the other thing that makes puberty currently very difficult for girls is social media, Mm -hmm. Um, specifically Instagram and TikTok. So on TikTok, we have what they call thin spell videos. Do you know what that is? I have not seen these. 
So I didn't either because I've heard of Fitspo, which is like fit inspiration because yeah. my friend is a personal trainer. Thinspo are thin inspiration videos. Sure. Uh, things like try this cleanse, mm-hmm. do this workout every day of the week and you'll be skinny, what I eat in a day videos, big issue. You see them mm-hmm. all, I see them all over Instagram yeah, yeah. and TikTok. And the problem with Instagram and TikTok is the algorithm is going to push you mm-hmm. the videos that you watch. So yeah. all you're going to see are more and more of these thin spo videos or super skinny or mm-hmm. do this cleanse, don't eat, right? Yeah. So the algorithm is pushing this kind of content on young girls. Yeah, it's funny. The algorithm knows that I love to eat and I love to eat <laughs> pasta and I also love like chunky trans people who want to live their best lives. Yeah. Like the algorithm knows me real well. <laughs> Yeah, but so that's it's good in a way, but it's also bad for yeah. young girls. It yeah. is. Um, yeah. So they're being shown the same content repeated repeatedly, and it's going to have a negative effect on the way they perceive themselves, especially because this is such a formative time in their lives where they are mm-hmm. really forming an opinion on themselves and the world. Yeah, 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 and it and I think that's that's probably another thing about it is like for me I ingest a ton of TikTok is like my social media of choice and I ingest a ton of stuff that makes me really happy and those include cooking videos and people just being their authentic selves and you know like th- that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and that and and so I'm in an echo chamber of what I consider to be very affirming content if you are a young person and you consider thinsbo videos to be very affirming and to make you feel good about yourself, then you're happy to ingest that content. And so I think it then like creates this very skewed and warped understanding of what those things really manifest as inside of your body and your brain because you've just associated them with positivity and endorphins because that's how social media works. So like, yeah. I can't imagine that being very good. <laughs> no. And, and it, I'm sure one day they're going to look back on this time of history and and do studies on how social media is affecting our brains. Yeah. But I, I can't see how it's good for, for their developing brains to just be seeing this content over and over again. Yeah. And I know that it's causing some young girls to develop, you know, eating disorders earlier mm-hmm. and, and a lot of problematic behaviors. So yeah. I think it's no one can control it. Like this is just the time we live in, even as parents, like, what are you going to do? You know, Mm. but um, it's just something to be mindful of as you watch your kids going through puberty. I've been very fortunate so far in that I almost always know everything that my kids are doing because they want to tell me about everything that they're doing. Right. And so I haven't really been worried about anything because I'm also pretty like, I don't want to be like, I'm real hip, but like I, I generally know what's going on because I work at a social media company and like I I have a pretty good understanding of all the like current trends and stuff. But Emma came home like a couple weeks ago and is like obsessed with this I don't know, personality person who's like really geared towards young kids, so it just escaped my world. Who is it? Jojo Siwa? Oh, we love Jojo Siwa. She loves Jojo Siwa. And we love I'm Jojo. Just, I have I have no idea who this is. I don't know anything about her. She's amazing. I'm obsessed. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it's okay to be obsessed with Jojo Siwa. Okay. She's a okay. very – I think she's a good role model for little kids. Okay. She recently came out as a lesbian. She's oh. 
very pro LGBTQ plus community. And, and so my, my best friend recently took her niece to her very first concert, which was a JoJo Siwa concert. She's like, I think her, I think she's eight or nine. Yeah. Apparently at every concert, JoJo gives this big inspirational speech about how coming out was so important and how you shouldn't be afraid to be yourself. We like JoJo Siwa. You should do some research on her. I got all the tingles. You should encourage that. She's a little much. Like if you watch her videos, like she's a lot. Like as an adult, I'm like, yeah. there's too much. There's colors. There's she's yelling and she's yeah. loud. Yeah. yeah. But I that's why kids are drawn to her. But I actually yeah. think she's like a, a pretty good soul and a good role model if you look Okay, her. okay. All right. Yeah. Cause all I've seen is like the content is just like, check out this JoJo Siwa video. And she's yeah. it's, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. But she recently yeah. yeah, she recently came out and she's been yeah. very, very like accept oh. yourself and love yourself and she started on that Dance Moms show. She was one of those kids. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Oh my goodness, poor kids. Yes, I know. <laughs> so anyway, that's my that's my thing about JoJo Siwa. I used to not be a fan, and then my friend was like, "No, look her up. Like she's got okay. like she's good." And I was like, "All right, all right, all right okay. I'll give her a shot." So that's my whole <laughs> spiel on you know body image and how it's much more difficult, I think, today than it even was in the past. Yeah. And it's, I think that there's, I don't know any of the details, but I do know for sure that like throughout history, like you just look at paintings and women, the way that we, the way that we depict women and depict beautiful women is as like voluptuous Mm -hmm. and, and very round and like that, that is something to be celebrated. And and the bigger you were, it meant you were, it meant you were rich. Like, it was, you know, right. like you could afford food. <laughs> yeah. So, so I feel like we've just gotten so far away from that. Now it's like, you can tell someone is rich by how thin they are because they can afford a lifestyle that allows them to work out a whole lot and eat nothing. Yeah. Whereas if you don't have a lot of money, you're eating for calorie efficiency. That's right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah I, didn't wanna, really... I didn't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole with yeah. with that, but obviously the the attractiveness ideal that we have now is very classist and, mm-hmm. and ableist and there's just, there are a lot of problems with it. Yeah. But we'll get off of that sad train and let's let's get into something that i thought was really interesting which is why do teenagers smell so bad <laughs> they stink they really stink and yeah. like you think to yourself like i mean adults can stink too but not like teenagers stink and yep. the crazy part with teenagers is that they a lot of times can't smell themselves mm-hmm. so like you have to remind them to go shower cuz they don't yep. realize they stink yeah so let's talk about why so one of the earliest signs of puberty is smelling bad. And apparently that is probably a result of evolution. So that Mm -hmm. back when we were like cave people, you could detect sexual maturity on someone just by scent. Yes. Pheromones. Mm, Right? um. Makes sense. (laughs) We don't need that anymore though. So um, due to like all those hormonal changes going on, children begin to sweat profusely as their sweat glands grow and start pumping out more moisture. And sweat by itself obviously doesn't smell. Mm -hmm. So why, what makes teenager sweat smell so bad? The stinky stench coming from teens is from very specialized sweat glands located under the arms and in the groin. And they they produce oil Mm -hmm. that mixes with the sweat. And what happens when oil mixes with sweat and then sits on skin and kind of marinates there? 
we grow bacteria. Yes, we do. And then the bacteria feast on that oily sweat, and that's what makes the smell, right? Yeah. Bacteria, they break down the oil, and they live in those like dark, damp parts of our bodies, and the chemical byproduct is what we end up smelling. Yep. So in teens, as they're growing and their sweat glands are producing more of these oils, that's what makes them smell so bad. Is It's all the hormonal changes going on, and then that tends to regulate itself as you get older. And you also just learn to shower every day and yes. put on deodorant. <laughs> Teens cannot smell themselves, and that's normal for two reasons. One reason is obvious. Like, it's also the same thing. Like, you know what they say? Like, you know, when you fart, it's not so bad. Like, when you yeah. smell your own fart, but you yeah, smell yeah, someone yeah. else and it's gross. Yeah. You're just used to your own smells, right? Yeah. So obviously that, but studies have actually shown that teenagers are really bad at picking out like bad smelling foul odors in general or like strong odors like garlic or um, like, I don't know, like skunk, like anything really bad for, I don't know if it's like the hormones, but teenagers just like, they are not as sensitive to really bad smells. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So I thought that was cool. So as parents- You know, like, what can we do to encourage our children to not smell so bad? (laughs) Shower daily with antibacterial soap, apply deodorant, wear cotton to reduce sweat. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, we need to get rid of the stigma around body odor, right? It's really like... I remember when I was in elementary school there were, or middle school, there was always that one smelly kid and everyone made fun of them. And it was like, it's not nice, right? So we need to kind of talk to our kids about how smelling is normal And it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you have bad hygiene. It just means that your body is growing and changing. Yep, exactly. Be nice to those smelly kids. I know. So so how (laughs) that kind of leads me to my next thing of I I think even back when we were young, Jen, and I'm assuming further back than us, it was more so, we did not really talk about puberty very much. Mm Mm-hmm. My mom was pretty good about it. She did give me the Care and Keeping of You American Girl book, which I'm going to talk about. Aw. But- I feel like more and more parents are are figuring out how to talk to their kids as fully formed humans and really explain things to them. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have resources to talk to your kids. And the more you talk about things, the less there is this bad stigma around it. Mm-hmm. So I have three books that we can use to talk to kids, teens, tweens about puberty. The first one is for all genders. So I like this. It's called Sex, Puberty, and All That Stuff, A Guide to Growing Up. Mm. It's for all genders. It's really geared towards – this one's geared towards slightly older, like they're already going through puberty if they're Mm -hmm. girls, so like 11 to 16-year-olds. Yep. It covers like some topics that maybe it would be awkward for you as a parent to just bring up by yourself so the kid, if they don't feel comfortable talking to you, they can read it in the book first and then if they have any questions, you know, they can come to you. Yep. But it talks about sex, STDs, pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It talks about some of those more awkward things that involve both genders that would be mm-hmm. important to know. It's not so gender specific of what's happening to your body. Yep. But the the authors, I think they do a really great job of like taking the stigma and the fear out of it and explaining things in a, in a way that's very just factual and not scary or confusing, right? It's just, yep. this is what's happening. And it has some funny cartoons in it, which is- Yay! You know, I can always <laughs> diffuse some of the awkwardness going on. <laughs> yes. Um, then we're going to talk about the one that I feel like I've mentioned 85 times on this mm-hmm. podcast, which is The Care and Keeping of You. So good. <laughs> which is now a two-part book. Yes. Um, so there's book one, which is for girls ages eight to 10. And then there's book two, which is for girls 10 and up. Mm-hmm. So it really reviews the, ch- the changes going on in your body specific to 
women or girls or people who are assigned female at birth. Mm-hmm. And it, it talks about the changes your body is going through or will go through. And it also talks about you know, self-care and hygiene as well. Mm-hmm. And then for boys, there's um, Guy Stuff, the body book for boys. It's the American Girl Book equivalent for mm-hmm. males. It provides basic info on puberty for boys. It's written by a pediatrician. So again, it's very factual. Again, it's just a good way for you to kind of start the conversation without you having to like sit on the bed and be like, let's talk about puberty, which can Mm -hmm. be very awkward. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yes. I, I love a good awkward topic book because I think it I think it makes it like, oh, this this exists as an actual book in the world. Somebody sat down and wrote this and other people are reading it. And so it makes it more like a communal experience. Yeah. <laughs> so totally. it's like, oh, this isn't weird. This is like a real thing. And I can tell it's a real thing because here's this physical book that I can yeah. pick up and read. The other thing that was cool when I was growing up is that my Girl Scout troop one night had like a, I don't know if this is like a normal thing that they all do, but one of our Girl Scout meetings when we were in like fifth or sixth grade was completely about puberty and getting your period and what to expect. And so, I mean, I guess it could have been awkward for the kids whose moms were like the troop leaders, but like for most of the kids, it was like an adult that wasn't your mom. And Mm -hmm. it was a group of girls your age that you were probably friends with. So it wasn't just like you and your parents sitting in a room being very uncomfortable. Yeah. And they they handed out a little goodie bag with pads and tampons to all the girls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah, it, it makes it a little less awkward when you're talking about it in a room full of your peers and you feel a little safe doing it. Yeah. We, we actually did that in school. We did a, it was maybe two or three days in health and they split the boys and the girls up. Yeah. And, you know, it was our female health teacher who explained everything and then gave everybody a goodie bag. And it was awkward, but I feel like I learned a lot that day. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I still somehow managed to get through high school without actually understanding how a person truly becomes pregnant. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, like I understood like the most basic physiological things like, okay, penis in vagina and then you know, sperm go to egg. Like I understood that part of it, but I did not understand that ovulation only happened specific days during your cycle. And if you didn't have sex during ovulation, you could not get Mm. pregnant. Like that's a really key important fact that I had missing and caused a great deal of confusion throughout my young years. Wow. (laughs) I was terrified that at any moment I could like (laughs) – well, they so I mean, they sort of do that to scare you almost, right? Yeah. To be like, you, you could do it once at any time. And then like, right, they, they do it to like freak you out almost. Yeah. 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 So, so I was a, I was a very uh, scared, scared of sex child. But this is why comprehensive sex education is so, I'm going to get on my soapbox now, yeah. is so important yeah. for at least high schoolers, at yeah. least. Yes. It's just like, if nothing else- like when I finally understood how my body worked and what I could control and what I couldn't control, the empowerment I felt yeah, and the ability to like make actual real world decisions about what I was doing and what I was not doing and why, it just like it changed my entire relationship with my body. Yeah. And I wish that I had had that, that education when I was young, just mm-hmm. like this is how it works. 
And if you want to make a decision, this is like, here's the information you need to make good decisions. Instead, it was just like, don't, don't do the thing. And so. Which makes you just want to do it more because you're a teenager. I know, right? (laughs) Or it makes you terrified. I mean, one or the other. One or the other. I was both at the same time. I wanted to do it, but I was terrified of it. So I did it and was scared. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, again, how we react to our kids is, is, and no one's perfect, but how mm-hmm. we react to our kids makes all the difference. Yeah. I remember when I told my mom that I was having sex as a teenager, terrified of what she would say. And my mother, who was like quite the little saint, you know, she was like, I think she was a little sh- like taken aback, but then her reaction was, okay, we're, well, first we need to make you an appointment at the OBGYN and then we're mm-hmm. going to get you on the pill. It didn't make me any more interested in sex. It wasn't like, oh, I'm on the pill now, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's it's important to treat your kids yeah. like they're humans and, yeah. and talk to them candidly about these things. But that we're getting on a whole other topic. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, no. I All I can say is I'm very jealous of the experience that you had. Yeah. With- <laughs> <laughs> that was not my experience <laughs> at all. We didn't tell my dad. <laughs> Yes, 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 no, my, my dad was not told either, but, um, yeah, I just, I want to give Emma the experience that you had because I think that's just a much more, much more pleasant way to, you know, (laughs) to to go through that very real and mostly unavoidable rite of passage. Most people on this planet in their lifetimes are going to have sex. Most of them are going to have sex under the age of 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So the reality we live in. One thing that I did want to mention that didn't come up, but that I saw and I thought was really fascinating is there's there's currently this like buzz, I guess. Like like people are very concerned that children are starting to hit puberty earlier. And then oh, because yeah. of hormones in milk and meat and blah, 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 like all kinds of different things. Right. But I found a study while I was doing the, the like menstruation research that says that actually evolutionarily hitting puberty at the age that we are hitting it now, like it is getting Mm -hmm. a little bit younger, right. That's actually like the normal time evolutionarily for us to reach puberty. And that when it was happening later, it was because things were off. Oh. Like, it's not that kids are getting it younger. It was that for a period of time, kids were getting it later than they should have been. And so they've done they've done some research now to show that, like, yeah, the average age for the start of puberty for girls is somewhere between, like, 8 and 13. And for boys is, like, between 10 and 14, right? People were living longer and longer and longer and our ability to access certain things was mm. had shifted and so physiologically puberty was was shifting with us but like it shouldn't have we should yeah. continue to hit puberty at the same time but yeah so so if you if you have heard that and you are afraid that girls are hitting puberty younger than they should be that is apparently incorrect <laughs> Well, that's good to know. I actually, I did read something too about how like um, they found some evidence of like when women would get their periods in medieval times and it was mm-hmm. pretty much the same yeah. as what it is now. I think if anything, they were even getting it earlier then yeah. 
because they lived so much they lived so much yeah shorter lives and they would you know be sexually active earlier and be married mm-hmm. off earlier and blah blah blah, yeah, blah blah exactly so i personally think that the like mania that people have around girls and puberty and when they start getting their periods and that sort of thing is all just like oh it's happening earlier and earlier it's just like one other way that we vilify this very natural thing that happens in assigned female at birth bodies Mm -hmm. and seeks to make it this thing that is in some way shameful or there's nothing more natural than your body doing that yeah yeah it's what it's supposed to be doing and if it's not doing there are people on this planet who don't have regular puberty and regular periods and it's like medically challenging so like yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. celebrate the period celebrate puberty stinkiness is good So you can find us online in many places. We are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we are always at OPDW Podcast. You can send us email at opdwpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to give us a review on whatever podcast listening platform you use, we're always thrilled to get those. They really help people find the show and they just fill our hearts with so much love. Yes. And our music is by Theo Rosenberg. So thank you, Theo. Thank you, Theo. All right, Diane. Until next time. The next time you see a thin spell video on TikTok, do yourself a favor and keep scrolling. <laughs>